Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor's here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now, here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. Yep, I made a mistake. (laughs) Welcome to Harbor Church. Man, we are glad that you're here. We really are. And those of you in the overflow room uh, or watching this online, uh, we're glad that you're with us as well. If you have never been here before, my name's Josh. Uh, I'm the lead pastor at Harbor Church. And uh, I'm wearing this ugly sweater because we're in a series called The Ugly Truth. I did not realize the ADD that Harbor Church has <laughs> and the amount of people are like, I didn't hear anything you preached. I just, you just sparkled the whole time. Like some of y'all, you dressed up like really nice. Like you guys look good. You're like, it's Christmas, we're gonna come out. I look like, you know, Liberace threw up or something. I don't know, I don't know what's wrong with me, but you know, we're gonna have some fun. We're gonna have some fun. The goal of the series was to talk about the fact that there is an ugly truth behind Christmas. It's, it's this holiday. It started as a holy day to commemorate the fact that Jesus Christ, the son of God, leaves heaven and comes to earth, not just to like parade around and dominate and be this like this amazing thing. He comes humbly and wraps himself in flesh. He becomes a human being. He, he becomes man in order to redeem mankind. And this amazing, this amazing event, his birth and his life, it's kicked off by what we celebrate as Christmas. And man, it's supposed to be peace on earth because of it, goodwill towards men. We're supposed to be jolly and happy and filled with hope. And yet it's Grinches and jerks and sadness and worry. It's why, why does things get so messed up? Well, I think that's because of sin, but sin is the reason that Jesus came. And if you've never heard the story about Jesus leaving heaven to come to earth, you've never, maybe it's been a long time since you've heard the real reason behind celebrating Christmas, or you've never heard the Bible's account of it, um, I'm going to read it to you. There's several different way, uh, different stories, but I'm going to read from Luke, which is probably the most popular uh, of the Christmas story of Jesus' birth. And it says this in Luke chapter two, talking about when Jesus was born, when the very first Christmas happened, it says at that time, the Roman emperor Augustus, maybe you've heard of Caesar Augustus, he, he kind of ran the, the civilized world at that time. He decreed that they should take a census, that there should be one throughout the whole Roman empire. And the Roman empire covered most of the known world. So like everybody kind of fell under their authority at this time. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria, also known as Cyrenius, and all the people had to go back to their ancestral hometowns. This is how they had to get registered. It says in verse four, Joseph, now Joseph was going to be Jesus's stepdad. Joseph was engaged to Mary. Mary was a virgin and yet becomes pregnant with Jesus because uh, an angel comes and tells her that she's going to have this child and it's gonna be an immaculate conception. It's gonna be something the Holy Spirit does uh, in and through her. And so she's pregnant. Joseph, the stepdad, is engaged to her and it says um, he... Um, it says that Joseph was a descendant of King David, so he has to go back to Bethlehem, which is where David came from. That's his ancient home. So he traveled there from from a village, Nazareth in, in Galilee. Mary and Joseph were in Nazareth of Galilee. That's where Jesus ends up growing up. 
most of his life. It says he took with him Mary to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. So now she's pretty far along in her pregnancy and they make this trip down to Bethlehem. It says, and while they are there, verses six and seven might be the ones you've heard more often. While they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and she laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Now, that's the, the telling of the Christmas story. Maybe you've heard it before, maybe you haven't. If we're going to talk about the ugly truth, what is it that you picture when you hear that story? I picture the nativity scene. I picture what, like, you know, you know, like that whole idea of Mary and Joseph. Maybe your grandma has one of these nativity scenes sitting out on, like, her counter or on a shelf somewhere. You guys can nod your head yes or no. You do have a grandma? She doesn't exist. She does you like you guys can interact with me a little bit. I don't know if anybody told you that. I'm wearing this. <laughs> this is what I think of. Now I think this is, a, you know, I mean, well, not really anymore, because this is kind of weird. A lot of white people in this for being something that takes place in the Middle East. And these wise men over here, they aren't actually there. That's that's wrong. The wise men are like some of you, they show up wicked late to things. They don't get to Jesus' birth for like at least a couple months, maybe even a year or more till after Jesus' born. So they weren't there at the manger scene, which by the way, would be great if you walked into grandma's house and you're like, pastor says, this is crap, grandma, get this out of here. <laughs> don't actually do that. Uh, but like this scene of it's just like, oh, there we go, it's precious. This was clearly painted by somebody who's never had kids. See, so I, I don't know if you're, any of the parents in here, if you remember the day that, that that child was born. <laughs> now, I love Christmas time because Kaylee, my wife, went into labor on Christmas Day with our first son, our second child, but our first son. And uh, she, I remember spending most of the day, most of Christmas Day in the hospital and she's having contractions and the nurse says, why don't you go walk around? I remember she was walking around the hallway in, in one of those dumb gowns that they make you have. And I, she's in pain and I'm standing there <laughs> It's amazing. <laughs> like an idiot, because I don't know what else to do. And at one point, she kind of like stopped and leaned on the wall. And she just looked over at me. And I'm just there like, doing great. <laughs> and her face was like, I want to strangle you to death. <laughs> and I just remember in that moment, like, I don't know what's happening. And I, I look back, and a beautiful day, it didn't look anything like this, is all I'm saying. Like, there's a lot... There's a lot that I think we misconstrue. And so as, as I read you that story, was there a part of that story that you, that you kind of re, like resonated with or that you felt like, ooh, that might be the ugly truth that he's trying to get at tonight? Like that might be the, the sad truth behind this beautiful nativity scene, this, this, this beautiful first Christmas that we kind of glamorize. What would be the sad part? Some people would say, I think the sad part is uh, this young couple, this, this Mary and Joseph going on this long road trip without having any money and the struggle that must have been. And I don't think that's the saddest part. I actually, I like picture things and I picture like, like that's probably like Mary set the tone as the first ever passenger princess, you know, where she gets on the donkey and she's like, let's go, Joseph. And then she's five minutes in complaining that there's no cup holders on the donkey for her Stanley and that he's got to 
upgrade his ride or it's too bumpy or doesn't know where he's going or whatever. Um, I don't think that was the saddest part. Some of you would say the saddest part's got to be the government. It's got to be the fact that the Roman Empire was oppressive and the taxation without representation, the, 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 the dictatorship, the evil that's there. Because some of you, you're so hung up on politics all the time and that's what makes you mad and that's all you think about. That's not the saddest part of the story. And some of you who've grown up in church, your answer would be is that there was no room for them in the end. Because we've all heard that message a hundred times. You know, there's no room for Jesus. And that's, that's a great message, and it's true. There was no room in the end. But I, once again, I read these stories, and I don't think like that. I just, I just try to imagine real time what that conversation looked like, where Joseph gets rejected from the innkeeper, and he's got to walk back. <sighs> Hey, babe. Uh, hey, Mayor Bear. Um, good news, bad news. And you can almost see her pregnant going, did you forget to make a reservation? He's like, he's like they're, they're going to hook us up. It's going to be nice, real nice. It's going to be a great place. Bad news is it's outdoors. It's going to be that barn, that stable. That, like you might think that's the saddest thing. That all this took place in a barn or a stable. I think you missed, you might have missed some of the wording that was, that was in the story. And it was there intentionally. Let me read you. I, I memorized uh, Luke 2 as a kid, but I memorized it in the King James. And so in the, in the New King James, which is very similar, it says this about verse number seven. She brought forth her firstborn son and she wrapped him in swaddling cloths and she laid him in a manger because there's no room for them in the inn. The version I read to you said very similar. She wrapped them in strips of cloth. There's no lodging for them. The reason that I bring your attention to that is because the Holy Spirit brings our attention to it. When he called Luke to write this down, he said, hey, write that specific part down. You ever wonder why? Like the Bible says God doesn't waste anything. So why would he give us this detail? Why, like, like we don't say that when we're like, hey, my new kid is born, welcome. Like we just say, hey, you know, whatever, seven pounds and, and three ounces or whatever, and that's so many inches long, and mom and dad are doing great. <laughs> Luke doesn't say that. Like, I would love to know, was Jesus an eight-pound baby, a six-pound baby? I would love to know some of those. It doesn't. It says, he was born and then wrapped in strips of cloth and put in a manger. And that's the detail it gives us. But it gives us that because that was going to be used specifically to help the shepherds. If you remember in the next verse, it says that there are shepherds in the same country living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. They're out hanging out in the field, just chilling out with the sheep. And then all of a sudden, boom, angel, super bright. Woo, they get scared. The angel says, don't be afraid. Relax, do not fear. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy that it will be something that I got good news for everybody. There's born to you this day in the city of David, which is Bethlehem, a savior, Yes, it's Christ the Lord, the Messiah. And the Jewish people would have known what they're talking about because they've been looking for this Messiah. It had been prophesied hundreds of years earlier that there was going to be a Christ, a Messiah, a rescuer to come. So they're like, oh, okay, he's here. Like, this is it. Like, this is it. Like, woo, like, this is it. Like, we've been waiting for this forever. 
And it says, and this will be a sign unto you. You'll find a babe wrapped in swelling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly it says, there is with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts. So more angels show up and they all start singing and praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. I have to not get so excited. I got three more of these to do tomorrow. I don't know what you guys think about when you read the Bible. And it might be that my, I have too much ADD. But when I read it, it's like, hey, the, there's, a, there's a Savior born. It's Christ the Lord. And then the next thing that I think it should say is there's a whole host of other angels coming together, praising God and saying, and it does that, but there's this one verse in the middle, and if you bring it up, it says, this will be a sign unto you. And I'm sitting there going, why does it do that? Can you just imagine if the angel didn't tell him this verse? Hey, the Messiah's here. And they're like, whoa, the Messiah's here. And they're like, peace on earth, good will to men. They're like, whoa. And then eventually, one of the shepherds would have to get the courage to go, <laughs> well, I don't, you ask it. Excuse me, your angelness, <laughs> sir, some shiny, shininess. Um, <clears throat> how do we know which one's the Messiah? <laughs> right? Because, I mean, like, they're excited, and they're like, go see him. And they're like, well, how, how are we going to know? And he says this, <clears throat> in the middle of all of that, there's this one verse that says, this will be the sign for you to figure it out. You're going to find a babe. That's important because the Messiah didn't show up as a full-grown man. Jesus didn't come as a, as, a, as, a, as a full-grown man. He showed up and was born in this, what we would consider the most fragile form of humanity, the most vulnerable form. It's the humility of the God of the universe to even wrap himself in flesh. If I was going to leave heaven and, and come live amongst my creation, I would give myself like an Arnold Schwarzenegger body, you know, like back in the day when he's Mr. Universe. That's how it showed up, you know? I, he, Jesus comes as a little baby and in a manger. And he says, so it's a babe wrapped in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Now, a lot of, a lot of theories has been made about why this was so specific to the sign that they would have. Here's why I think it's so important is because it actually speaks to the reason. It's not just a way to find Jesus. It was recognizing that this is not a normal birthday. This isn't a normal kid and a normal birth. Now, like I said, a lot of theories, a lot of scholars, a lot of experts for hundreds of years have been talking and trying to dissect what all this means. The babe part, meaning he doesn't come as a full-grown man. We get that. The wrapped in swaddling clothes... I looked up pictures. <clears throat> I looked up pictures for Mary with a baby, with baby Jesus wrapped in strips of cloth, and, and the internet kind of disappointed me. This is what I found. I was like, that is an ugly picture. I was like, I can't show the people that. I gotta find a better picture. The best picture I could find, or the only other picture I could find was this. That baby's freaking hideous. That creeped me out. You guys are going to have nightmares about that full-grown man baby there. But I wanted you to see the wrapped in, in strips of cloth piece that we're talking about there. What's happening there is this, uh, it's this, um, it's this tradition. 
there, a lot of people have said this, and, and I like this piece of it. They're like, well, that's because it's so unique because it's funeral clothes. That's not completely true. It is true, but that's not the only thing that's happening there. See, in this, in this day and age, the custom was to wrap somebody up, kind of like how you would see mummies with strips of cloth when they died. So you would bind them up, and that's how they would be laid to rest, wrapped up in that cloth. You see that when Jesus uh, calls Lazarus from the dead, it says he comes out, and Jesus says, hey, unwrap him, like unbind him. So there was that tradition, and I do think it's, it's, it's unique to look at that. I'll come back to that in a second. But Jesus wouldn't have been the only baby to be wrapped in strips of cloth. This is actually was a, a, a fairly common custom amongst richer people to wrap their baby in that, and it kind of acted like as a form of underwear or a diaper, if you would, for a baby, but only the wealthy really could afford that. Most of the poorer people would have just put a tunic over their kid, and he would have been naked underneath. That's just how most people would have been. So there is this part where the, where the shepherds would have been like wrapped in strips of cloth and in a manger, like the poorest crib you could find, but also like a piece of luxury, which kind of speaks to the king of kings and also becoming a man. So maybe there's that dichotomy. That's kind of cool. Um, and some people have wondered like, well, how would Mary get strips of cloth if that's something that's, 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 that's for the wealthier people? Well, somebody, so, somebody uh, I read one of the experts said, well, maybe there was a, a wealthy or affluent family that just kind of had pity on them and said, oh, here's this pregnant lady. Let's give him some. There's a tradition that has said that the priests, for hundreds of years, there was a, like, they had a tradition where they would tear their liturgical garments and rip a piece of their, their garment, a strip of cloth off of their, their priestly garments, to set aside for the coming Messiah. And they did that, every, every priest did that. And then, if you read, before she has Jesus, Mary goes and visits her cousin Elizabeth, whose husband is a priest, Zechariah. Maybe when they're there talking about their pregnancies and Zachariah hears that she has the Messiah uh, growing inside of her, she, he says, man, you've got the Messiah? Well, I've got a whole bunch of strips of cloth that we've been saving for. And maybe that's where she got it. The truth is, guys, we don't know. I just love studying this stuff and I just wanted to share it with you. Now, there is somebody that found something from the fourth century that said that shepherds also had a tradition. If these shepherds, were shepherds who raised sacrificial sheep. Now, Bethlehem is about five and a half miles from Jerusalem, which means there could have been, these shepherds could have been shepherds who raised sheep specifically for them to be sacrificed. A sacrificial lamb would have to be perfect. I'll come back to why that's so important. But when they would offer a sacrifice, the lamb couldn't be bruised or broken in any way. So a shepherd... This is not, we don't know that this is what happened during Jesus' time, but there is a custom that they would take the sheep and wrap it and bind the sheep with strips of cloth and put it in a manger when it's born so that it would protect it from the other animals and from getting hurt. So there's also the chance that the shepherds heard bound in strips of cloth and put in a manger and they immediately said, oh, that's a sacrifice. I don't know. We really don't know. I'm just telling you all the things that could happen. Here's what I do know. Three times Jesus is bound and wrapped in something. The first time, he's wrapped as a baby. Clearly tells us multiple times. The second time, the Bible says in John chapter 18, verse number 12, when Jesus is praying in the garden of Gethsemane, Judas betrays him. It says soldiers and their commanding officer and the temple guards arrested Jesus and tied him up. They bound him up. 
The third time we see is Jesus dies on the cross, spills his blood to cover the sins of mankind. And some of his followers, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they come and they take his body down. It says Nicodemus brings a bunch of ointment and cloths. And it says this in chapter 19, verse 40, following the Jewish custom, they wrap Jesus's body with spices and long sheets of linen cloth. He was bound at his birth. He was bound for his trial and he was bound in his death. In his first one, Mary took those binds off of him. In the second one, the guards took the binds off him so they could make him carry a cross. And in death, he took his own binds off. It says that he left his grave clothes right there in the tomb. I love looking at how the Bible kind of gives us these little stepping stones to see this really cool story that started way back with just a baby in a manger. See, we think baby in a manger, we don't think, what is God trying to show us here? The Bible says that Mary and Joseph knew this kid was special. Besides the fact that she was a virgin, which is obviously unheard of. But it wasn't just that God was going to miraculously give them a child. It was the fact this child was going to be special. Now, when the angel Gabriel tells Mary that she's pregnant, he tells her, hey, this is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. Now, Mary goes to Joseph and says, hey, I'm pregnant. And he's like, well, I know it ain't mine. <laughs> and he sa- it says that he's thinking about maybe divorcing her. Now, like, they're not married like we would call marriage, but they're betrothed, they're engaged. And so it says he's thinking about, like, well, that's not my kid. I'm just going to put her away. While he's thinking about it, it says in verse uh, number 20 of Matthew chapter 1, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. The child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now watch this. Your job, it says she's going to have a son, and Joseph, your job is to name him. Name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus is a derivative from a, an Old Testament uh, name, Yeshua. And Yeshua in the Old Testament is Joshua. Joshua and Jesus, same name, same derivative because that means deliverer or deliverance. Joshua delivers his people from the wilderness. They go through the wilderness. They go through the, through the desert, and he delivers them into the promised land. Jesus, in the same way, takes us from sin into a relationship with God. But the, the difference is, he says, he says Jesus, this, this Messiah is going to be a deliverer. He's going to save his people, not from the Romans, like they all thought the Messiah was going to do. He's going to save people from their sins. Now, what I, what, what, I, what I love about this is, is immediately a Jewish person would have known, oh, there's only one way to have rescue from sin. You have to have a blood sacrifice. There has to be a blood covering for sin. You could do other kinds of sacrifices, but a blood sacrifice, every Jewish person would have known that's what God requires. Because if you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, that's what God said, hey, there's only one way. And then you can sit here, and, and you and I, that may be weird to us. We might go, that doesn't make sense. Why does it have to be a blood sacrifice? Why does, it, why does it have to be a lamb? Why does it have to be Jesus? Why did he have to die on the cross? Why did he have to get beaten? Why, why is the carpet all wet, Todd? I don't know, Margo. But I do. Only like five of you got it, because not enough of you watch movies. There is, there is this part of what we're trying to understand here that hurts us, because we're like, I don't get why if God is so good, he would require a sacrifice. It's because God isn't just good, God is perfect. Because God is perfect and truly righteous and truly holy, 
no sin, nothing that is broken or wrong that is, that, that is not good can he tolerate. If he could tolerate it, then he wouldn't actually be perfect. He wouldn't actually be just. He wouldn't actually be holy or righteous. So what God says is sin is so opposite of his character, of who God is. He's like, I can't have that. In order for there to be any kind of redemption, that has to have a heavy penalty. And the penalty for sin has been death. Now, because you and I, the book of Romans says you and I were born sinners, that none of us are perfect. None of you shook your head yes. Okay, one person did. The rest of you, because we're not perfect, we're born sinners, we're born with distance between us and God. So Jesus came to be the bridge, the go-between, the mediator to cover the sin that you have between you and a perfect God. It's not that God is mean, it's that he's just. He can't be a just God and say, well, it's okay that you have sin. No, he goes, there has to be payment for that sin or else he isn't a just God. But because he's also the most loving God ever, he gifted his only begotten son that if anybody would choose to believe in Jesus, they could have that distance, that sin, that all of those mistakes, all of the things that are broken and rotten could have those covered by the blood of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. This would have been very obvious. Maybe not obvious, but it would have been very intentionally drawn to Mary and Joseph and even to these shepherds when they see this little boy in this manger wrapped in these clothes like this. This is so unique. See, our birthdays, when we had a birthday, when we have other people being born, we are like, yay, look at the beginning of this kid's life. The birthday is about the life they're gonna have. Jesus's birthday was signifying the death that he was gonna have. See, the ugly truth about Christmas is that nativity scene the celebration of Jesus' birthday is the fact that Jesus was born to die. And when we start to look through this, that now all of a sudden the prophecies from the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah wrote in, in chapter 53, verse five, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. That's talking about what Jesus went through on the cross. All we like sheep have gone astray. I think it's Jesus is this final lamb sacrifice in the same way that it took the final lamb to redeem all the sheep that have gone astray. It's speaking to the fact that God became man to redeem mankind. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one of us to our own ways. And God, the Lord, put on him, meaning on Jesus, he put the iniquity of all of us on him. This is something that the Bible says would have, would have stuck in Mary's mind. When the, when the shepherds hear from the angels that the Messiah's come, they go to check it out for themselves. If you pick up the story in verse 17, it says, after seeing this baby in the manger and worshiping him, the shepherds told everyone, they told everybody what had happened and what the angel had said to them about the child. And all who heard, this is verse 18, all who heard the shepherd's stories were astonished. Now verse 19 says, Mary, Mary kept all these things in her heart and she thought about them often. 
The rest of the story says this, the shepherds went back to their flocks. They were glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and all they had seen. It was just as the angel had told them. But that, that verse that says, Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. I don't know what it would have been like to be, I've been a parent of a, of a newborn. But for Mary to have to sit there and go, this kid is special. This isn't a normal birthday. Every parent thinks their kid is special. But Mary wasn't looking at a birthday about the life of this kid. She was immediately holding the Messiah who was prophesied by his wounds we would be healed. She knew her baby was born specifically to die for all of us. What a heavy thought. What an important thing to contemplate on the first Christmas and on this Christmas. I want you to stay seated. And as Kenny sings, I want you to just think about what it was that Mary would have been thinking about what it is that God might be trying to draw our attention to this Christmas. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? That this child that you delivered will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would give sight to the blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would calm a storm with his hands? Did you know your baby boy has walked where angels trod and when you kiss your little baby you've kissed the face of God Mary did you know did you know the blind will see the deaf will hear and the dead will live again. The lame will leap, the dumb will speak, the praises of the Lamb. Oh, the blind will see, the dead will hear, and the dead will live again. The lame will leap, the dumb will speak, the praises of the
might be sitting here and you might be thinking, I, I already know a lot of what you just said, Pastor Josh. I've already thought about that. I know that Jesus came to die for me. Let me tell you about another part of the, of the nativity story that a lot of people overlook. We, we hear about the wise men, and once again, the wise men show up with these gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and myrrh speaking to that ointment that you would put on a, on a dead body, and, and, and there's, a, there's that death packed in there before that. But before the wise men get to Jesus, it says that they see the star and go, yeah, that means there's a new king. A king of the Jews is being born. They get excited to come welcome the king. So they go to where they think a king would be. They go to the palace in Jerusalem, except for Herod was there. And when they ask Herod, the king, hey, where's the new king? He was like, new, new king? It says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 3, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard about this new king, as was everyone in Israel or Jerusalem. It says that he called a meeting. Now watch this. He called a meeting of the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. And he asked them, hey, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. So these guys knew the Bible. They went to the Old Testament and they found this and they said, and you, they're quoting scripture here, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. See, they had the answer. Let me ask you this. Have you ever thought about who the, the group of people was in the Bible that struggled the most with accepting Jesus as the Messiah? There's one group of people who no matter what Jesus did, he grows up, Jesus grows up and becomes this great rabbi who teaches and preaches these amazing things, does awesome miracles. As, as we just heard sung, he, he, the deaf can hear, the blind can see, he calls the dead back to life, he preaches these amazing things, and people come to trust him as the Messiah. And it, the people group that struggles the most is not the Romans, and it's not the Gentiles, and it's not the Samaritans, and it's not the lepers, and it's not the prostitutes, and it's not the rich, and it's not the poor, it's the most religious people that struggled with putting their faith in Jesus. And you look at it and you say, some of you sat there as, as I preached and you said, yeah, I already know this. Well, so did they. They knew all about the Messiah, but they didn't believe in him. What I'm afraid for some of you is you're giving yourself a pass because you came to church. I'm a church man. I'm the guy who shows up at the Christmas service you should preach this message for my neighbor. Now they're a pagan. Just because you're here and just because you know about God doesn't mean that you're saved. The Bible says that the demons know that Jesus is the son of God. That doesn't mean they're going to heaven. And just because you've gotten to a place where you believe that there is a God or you believe that Jesus came to die for you and you have the head knowledge that doesn't mean you're going to heaven. It has to become a real faith in your heart. See, this is what, this is what Paul was talking about when he wrote to his protege, Timothy. He said, this is a trustworthy saying in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Everybody should accept this, bud. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That was his mission. He didn't come to have a party. He didn't come as much as I love the Christmas trees and the presents and the lights on our house. That wasn't the purpose of his birthday. He came to save sinners. And I love Paul's caveat. I'm the chief. I'm the worst of all of the sinners. I love that because this dude who was saying this wrote half of the New Testament. 
And if Paul, the worst sinner of all, can write half of the Bible, you can do something for God too. Okay, three people with me. And he goes on to say this. He goes, why did God save me? He goes, but God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Do you understand that it's the patience of God that has you sitting there right now? You're still alive, not because you have some great power and control. Your heart is beating and your lungs are pumping air because of God's patience and his mercy with you. He wants so much. He loved you so much that he gifted you his son and allowed his son to die in your place. And now he's gifting you another chance to believe in him. And that's, that's what he says. He goes, he's patient with even the worst sinners. Then others, meaning you, will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Not know. It's not the fact that you know. These guys that served King Herod, they knew about the Messiah. They knew the Bible. Some of you, you're giving yourself a pass because you know about God. And you're, you're a little bit better than other people. You know, you, you go, you're the person that goes to church. You helped some old ladies across the, the road. You, you gave some money in an offering plate. You didn't swear as much in 23 as you did in 22. Man, you're, you're on your way to heaven. You're not. It's not about what you know. It's about what you believe. And see, in order to believe, you have to receive. See, there's a part to gift giving. It doesn't become your gift until you take it. I can buy something all day long and say it's yours and go, hey, I paid the price for it so that you can have it. And that's what Jesus did. He goes, I covered your sin. I picked up your tab with my blood on Calvary. I conquered death so you don't have to have the death penalty anymore. Here you go. It's a gift, but it's only a gift when you receive it. You have to take it. There's a story about an old man who needed, whose hearing was going bad. And so his wife was like, hey, honey, you need, you need hearing aids. Huh? You need hearing aids. Let's go see the doctor. Goes to the doctor. The doctor says, yeah, your hearing's going bad. Huh? Pardon? Your hearing's going bad. You need hearing aids. How much? The doctor tells him. He goes, I can't afford that. And his wife goes, no, honey, it's important. It's so important. It's, I think it'll be so good for you. Let me buy them as a gift to you, babe. She bought the hearing aids and presented them to him. And he wouldn't take them. Because if he took them, then he had to admit that he needed them. And see, a lot of you, you won't take the gift of Jesus Christ because you don't want to have to admit that you actually need a God that's not you. You're here and you're like, I like the idea of having me some Jesus. He can sprinkle on some good luck and hopefully my year's better. And if I get a, a winning scratch off, that'd be great. That's not what Jesus is here for. He's the God of the universe who left heaven and wrapped himself in flesh, not so he could be your good luck charm or your buddy or your genie in a bottle that you wish on every once in a while. It's so that he could save you and be the God of your life. If you shortchange that by trying to know about him but not trust him, you don't actually have him. And so my goal, and listen, I know you're sitting here like, can't you just, pre can't you just once preach a normal message? Can't we just do a Christmas message? We're like, yay, joy. 
I can't, I, I did born to die. I'm the worst, I know. It's the, like, you're like, I brought a friend tonight and you preached on this. I'm sorry. This is what you need though. This is the whole reason behind Christmas. I love that it's, it's a fun holiday. I love that there's joy and peace, but the joy that is for all mankind, the peace that passes understanding only comes when you embrace the gift that is Jesus Christ. So here's what I want you to do. I want you guys to stand up. I want you to hear what the prophet Isaiah said. The same guy that we read earlier that talked about prophetically about a Messiah coming. He warned us and he said, seek the Lord while he can be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked, and by the way, we're all wicked. Let the wicked forsake his way. That's talking about repentance. The unrighteous man, his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, what about our God? Our God, he will abundantly pardon, which means he is eager. God is excited. He's ready to just wipe your slate clean. He gave his son so that you could have a clean start. You could have your sin removed. You could have a relationship with God. And he's standing here offering you the gift if you only take it. And some of you, that's what you need to do right now, right where you're standing. Just simply pray and say, God, I'm sorry. Lord, I need you. I need the gift of forgiveness. I need the gift of salvation. I need a God who's bigger than me. If you would confess that right now, you could have not only a clean start, all of your sins forgiven, but the Bible says one day when you take your last breath, because you chose to put your faith in Jesus Christ here and now, you could have eternity with him in heaven. If you're there and you're going, Pastor, this is a great message for people who don't know Jesus, but I already know him. Then while those people who are inviting Jesus into their heart, while they're praying right now, let me ask you, how come you're, you don't look like the shepherds? The shepherds who they met Jesus, all they could do was tell everybody. Everybody they ran into, they said, I've met the Messiah, here's who he is. It says they went back rejoicing, excited that the Messiah was there, that they had they had the chance to know him. How come it is that none of your family members, none of the kids in your class, none of the coworkers, how come none of your neighbors know about this Jesus that you found? If you're really the believer you claim to be, the Bible says you'll be a light in the darkness. You'd be more like those shepherds that can't help but tell everybody. Maybe Maybe tonight God's just trying to remind you that you've gotten distracted with what Christmas is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a refueling in your tank for you to look more like Jesus and less like your old self. For you to be more excited about the joy and the peace that comes from knowing God than anything this world can offer. And maybe that's what your family member or your neighbor or your best friend needs more than anything else. They need to know what it is that you know. They need to have some of the hope that you have. As I pray out loud, will you pray quietly right where you are? Let's go to God. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord. We thank you for the story of a baby born in a manger, but God, we thank you that it's not just a, another birth. It's, it's, the, it's the beginning of the, the redemption plan for, for how you would draw us back through the life of Christ, the fact that he was perfect and yet he died for our sins. Lord, tonight we remember that that's Christmas. That's what we're celebrating. We're remembering that night 2,000 years ago. That stable, that little baby wrapped in strips of cloth lying in a manger. That wasn't just a, 
a random event. That was intentional. That was you redeeming us. That was you gifting us your son. God, forgive us for the fact that we forget that. God, forgive us that we're a room full of people who get swept up in all the thing about this holiday that isn't Jesus. God, forgive us for the fact that there's 364 days a year where we sometimes don't tell anybody about the, the story of Jesus and what he's done in our life. Lord, would you help us right now, God, the people who are under the sound of my voice that need Jesus for the very first time, God, give them the strength to take the greatest gift that's ever been offered and to receive that today and start a relationship with you. And Lord, help the rest of us walk out of this room looking and thinking and acting more like Jesus than how we walked in here a few minutes ago. God, let it not just be something that happens on December 25th, but let it be something that takes place in our lives every day where we can be excited about who you are and the life that you bring. God, let us be those kind of people. We ask this, God. We pray this in your precious and holy name. Amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.